Hello, it's, uh, it's Adam from Is It Whack and Insomniac Film Festival. I just wanted to hop in here at the start of this episode to tell you that what you're about to listen to is a bit different from what you've come to expect from Is It Whack. Um, that's because this episode, as well as the one from last week and the one from next week, were recorded months and months ago as kind of a test for Is It Whack. We recorded them with TIFF Next Wave, which is a committee of filmmakers, film enthusiasts, film programmers that curate really, really great stuff at TIFF. As I said, we recorded it as kind of a test for what Is It Whack was going to become, and over the months we kind of changed the format, and uh, yes, that's what we did. But we thought it was a really fascinating conversation that we still wanted people to hear, so we decided, hey, why not put it out now? Why now, though? You might think, why is now the perfect time? Well, we're going to tell you. That's because TIFF Next Wave Film Festival is coming up very soon, February 14th to 16th. If you're listening to this right now on the day of release, that means that this film festival starts in just a couple days. Battle of the Score specifically, which is a collaboration between Next Wave and Insomniac Film Festival, is this, this Friday. So you should look up TIFF Next Wave. You should look up the TIFF Next Wave Film Festival. They're showing a lot of really great films. And you should also look up Battle of the Scores because it's going to be super fun. You should come. If you want more info on anything that I just said, go to tiff.net slash nextwave. If you want more info on listening to a podcast in just a few moments, then all you have to do is keep listening. (laughs) Here is our conversation on Almost Famous. Goodbye. Hey guys, it's director Cameron Crowe here. I just wanted to pitch you the best movie I have made and ever will make. It's an extremely personal movie based on my experience as a young reporter for Rolling Stone. It's about a teenager touring America with a fictional band. But really it's about uncoolness, fandom, love, and fame. Maybe about how the purest form of fame is before an artist really hits it big and they still have the space to do their best work. To fit that theme, I will put together an amazing young cast who will never be this good again. Zoe Deschanel will give her best performance, something she can't do uh, before it's removed from her quirky persona. Billy Crudup will be mysterious and magnetic in a way he will never be again. I will launch Kate Hudson's career, only to see her never again get a role this good. As for me, I will go on to make Elizabethtown, Aloha, and We Bought a Zoo, leaving this one great movie as a monument to how we do our best work right before we really hit it big. Also, to make this metaphor work, please ignore that I made a massive hit movie, Jerry Maguire, right before this one. Listening public, uh, welcome to Is It Whack, the podcast that looks back on popular movies of yesteryear to ask the eternal question, uh, Is It Whack? In each episode, a panel of young people who love movies will unpack a film together, from storytelling to characters to aesthetics to politics. Is It Whack is produced by Insomniac Film Festival with the participation of the TIFF Next Wave Committee. Uh, Today, uh, we have a a great panel. I am Sebastian Dechter from Insomniac, uh, also from Insomniac. I'm Hannah Rain from Insomniac. And from uh, TIFF Next Wave Committee. Uh, Hi, my name's Olivia. Uh, and hi, my name's Emily. Awesome. Uh, Emily, do you want to tell us about the movie that we're doing today? Okay, so hi. We're going to be talking about Cameron Crowe's film, Almost Famous, which he directed and write, wrote. 
Um, but yeah, it's all about this kid who's a prodigy writer and he just has a huge passion for music and he starts talking to Lester Banks um, of of writer for Cream Magazine and they start to hit it off and he ends up making friends with a rock band called Stillwater and he ends up going on a journey with them on their tour and it's him writing for Rolling Stone about um, like this upcoming band, essentially. And fun fact, it premiered at TIFF. So when I first saw this film, I was in grade six. And my sister was like, just in like a really sad mood. And so we ended up watching like a bunch of like classic teen films, like the perks of being a wallflower and the breakfast club and then I saw like almost famous and it was so good and um I saw it when I was like in this like stage in my life where I was like really in love with the like 1960s hippies but also like the 1970s like rock music um so like I personally just like fell in love with the film like instantly um and I'm going to argue that it's not whack just because I was I was I always think about this film and like sometimes I'm like this film is like it's whack <laughs> right but as I was watching it last night I was watching it with my dad who just also completely loves this film and that's just like a little fun funny thing he recently bought this like motorcycle like leather jacket and Lester Banks actually has the exact same one oh my God. Oh, and so he's just like super happy about that but besides the point um <laughs> I was watching it with him last night and he also really loves this film and watching it I just like like came back to that grade six mindset of why this film just isn't whack <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wish I had a heartwarming story like Emily, <laughs> but the first time I saw this film was actually last night in preparation for this podcast. Oh. <laughs> I'd seen like a little bit little bit of it from like class, like maybe in grade eight, um, but I haven't like actually walked, watched it all the way through. Um, so I don't have any fun like nostalgia attached to it. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm pretty on the fence, but I think I'm going to say it's whack just because, and we'll get into it later, but it kind of lost me at some points, especially with the whole band thing, which is kind of the whole point of the movie. <laughs> because I, I don't have any attachment to rock and roll, let alone like 1970s rock and roll. Um, and really, this, this is much more a movie I'd watch with my uncles who are obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm very interested to see how this goes because I'm very much on the fence, but I think it's kind of whack, kind of whackish. Yeah. Hmm. Whack is a, a fluid concept, and yes. I think we will uh, maybe change our positions as the show goes on, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so the first time I saw it was grade 11, because um, this girl I thought was really cool was, like, quoting it, and it was also all over my Tumblr, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I have to watch it. So then I finally did, and I, like, I loved it. I wanted to be Penny Lane so badly. <laughs> and then I think I had a phase where I was like, because I'd seen, like, it was such a cultural artifact, I was, like, s sick of it, and I, like, thought I 
was like, oh, it's overrated. Mm -hmm. But watching it again last night, I, or actually this morning, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm very tired. Um, Watching it again this morning, yeah, I fell back in love with it. Um, And so I am going to argue that it is not whack. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I feel like I had a similar thing. I, I saw it when I was probably like 13 at my cottage, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had been a long time. And seeing it on, on the list of you know proposed movies that we had for the podcast, I thought I could probably argue that that's whack. I, I didn't love it at the time. Uh, and then I watched it again last night, and it's really, really good. So <laughs> I'm going to have oh, trouble no. arguing that. Oh, uh, but maybe I will try just... For fun. Wow. All right. <laughs> so it seems like this might just be me proposing things <laughs> yeah. and them getting guided differently. There's lots good. of whack aspects. Yeah. Definitely. There, yeah. Whack nuances. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Great. All right. Um, again, this obviously might just be like a very personal thing, um, but I found that I lost a lot of focus in the movie right in the middle when it started to be a lot about the band and not so much about William. Um, I think that William is like a super compelling protagonist. He's really cute. Um, <laughs> like I'm rooting for him the whole time. Um, and I think a lot of his interactions with the cast are super like cute and fun and fresh. And then in the middle, it sort of loses that for me because then we start going into Russell and Penny and then, oh, the band has some issues and they want a new manager and it's Jimmy Fallon and it's just getting <laughs> like super just like band focused. And that's where I personally was lost. Uh, I wish that I could see um, William and his mom interact more because I thought that was super cool. Uh, I wish Lester Banks came back a bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if the film was more focused on William and sort of like because it is like a coming of age. He's super young. And he's being told all these different things. His mom has like this really cool overprotective helicopter parent. But also she's a professor element uh, <laughs> and trying to like steer him in the right direction. And then Lester Banks is kind of like this middle ground between sort of the secular world and then like mm-hmm. his mom's like, like all that. And then the band offers like the extreme opposite of his mom, which is sort of like rockstar lifestyle and party all day and all that. And I think if we could see that focus a little bit more, I, I would have definitely jived with it. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was a lot, but that, that was just sort of like my main feeling. Yeah, no, to like talk with you on that, because um, I'm in grade 12 now, I guess. So like since when I first saw it in like grade six, like throughout the years, like I did find it hard to like stay entertained by it and like, I wanted more of Lester Banks and William just because, like, them talking together, like, at that diner. Um, I I know there's, like, a couple of different scenes that have been cut from the movie and, like, changed. So I don't know what versions you guys have, you you all have seen. Um, But there's, in one of the versions, he's, like, talking with William at a diner and, like, they're just discussing about, like, rock and how like it's like the final years of rock um and so yeah like I would love to see more of like him but it was hard because they also only had Philip Seymour Hoffman for like four days to shoot (laughs) out of like 92 and he was like sick throughout the whole time um and then with like Francis McDormand like it's crazy to me to think that like she and both Kate Hudson were like nominated for a Golden Globe and then Kate won. Yep, yep. Um, but that whole relationship is like 
it's really good because like Frances McDormand, she's just like an amazing actress and she like is this like overbearing control of like helicopter mom. But she also knows that her son's like this prodigy and he's like writing for like this big magazine, like Rolling Stone. So like she's trying to give him freedom, but it still wants to like keep him in a box. I think the the mom is so interesting. One thing I, I noticed this time, which I don't think I noticed when I was 13, is I, I really think that the whole movie uh, builds to the reunion between the mom and the daughter. Yeah. yeah. Because I think it plants this idea that she had this bad relationship with her daughter, and so she's trying not to screw things up with William. And so she's a bit more like permissive, and she lets him go out with the band and stuff because she doesn't want him to leave. Mm-hmm. And that's why it hurts her so much that he's not checking in and stuff. And uh, I thought it worked so well when the, the daughter comes back and they can finally reconcile. I thought yeah. that was one of the strongest things. For sure. Yeah. Uh, talk about versions. Hannah, what version of the movie did you watch? I watched the extended version because, <laughs> um, don't tell anyone, but I pirated this. And I could only find the extended version. So it was almost three hours long. So um, if you guys thought it got long in the middle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although... To go back to that point, I actually think that the fact that, like, you got a little withdrawn and, like, bored from the rock star lifestyle kind of adds to it. I think Mm -hmm. it – because I think that's the point. I mean, this was, like, the early 70s coming off of, like, the 60s, which was, like, kind of this, like, I don't know, big era for rock and roll and, like, even – at the beginning of the film when he's going through his sister's record collection, like, you have all these legends, like, Dylan and Joni Mitchell and Hendrix, and then he's touring with these, like, B-list, like, (laughs) 70s rock group who, like, the songs are pretty forgettable from the movie, and I think that's probably, like, on purpose to a degree. I mean, I think you're supposed to get tired of their lifestyle. Um, Maybe that doesn't necessarily work for, like, an audience but I do think it kind of like gets that across that like this rock lifestyle that is like so glamorized by William himself does get so exhausting and like Mm -hmm. it I don't know it's there's a lot of the same which is what it kind of feels like I thought it was it was interesting the scene where Penny leaves on the airplane and William's chasing her Mm -hmm. I was like oh the, the movie's ending and then I looked and there was still half an hour yeah. left. And I think in that last half hour, there's a few scenes where William isn't there. And most of the movie, there's a there's a couple earlier on, but almost all the movies from his perspective. And then in the final like half hour, there's a few scenes that are just Penny and, uh, the, and Russell, mm-hmm. um, which I think is interesting. And I think uh, as you guys sort of were talking about, we lose a bit of his perspective and it's like we kind of get this more bird's eye view of the mm-hmm. characters. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy, like, the scene with, like, Russell and Sapphire when, like, she's talking to him about, like, what about the fact that he told Rolling Stone that Mm -hmm. everything he talked about, everything he wrote about was a lie. And I don't know, it was nice to see Sapphire kind of talk, like, being like, oh, these new girls, like, they they eat all the steak <laughs> and like you, you just you're watching here eat like the vegetables mm-hmm. which I thought was like really cute um but yeah I do like seeing 
like other characters talk and not just having it off of like William's perspective. But I also watching it again, um, I found it really weird because even though we are seeing it off of William's perspective, where he doesn't, I don't find him to talk too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. He's very like kind of like a wallflower. Like he's just like sitting in the background and just like living and like experiencing everything that's going on around him. Mm-hmm. But he's not saying too much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he like I yeah. There's even like one point where like him and Russell are like talking about real stuff and he's like yeah it's nice to talk like that's one of like his lines when like they're going into that um house um before like the golden god scene and everything (laughs) i definitely think that um that could also be seen as like a strength of the film Mm -hmm. because uh, a lot like journalism is just you know sort of maybe not shadowing but following behind somebody and trying to gain as much of their life uh, like as possible and not interfering with that sort of like daily routine, right? So I think you could argue that in the film that is what Will's doing and then what we are doing um, because he doesn't talk as much. We are just being like a, a journalist with him and we are just observing how these uh, how this band lives, um, which could be a strength of the film. Um, yeah. Yeah, also like uh, I feel like the more emotionally involved William becomes as the film progresses is when the conflict starts to arise because Mm -hmm. he's no longer a journalist. He wants to, like, protect the secrets and integrity of these people that he's around, but then Mm -hmm. at the same time wants to fulfill his purpose for being there. It feels like a big turning point where when he uh, yells at... Oh, he well, he starts yelling at people a lot as the film goes. (laughs) Like, he starts yelling at people more and more. But I feel like that starts when he's yelling at Penny and he tells her that uh, Russell traded her for the beer or whatever. I felt like that was the first time he really, like, intervenes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, otherwise he's an observer. And it's interesting because people talk about, like, you need an active character, but I think his perspective really comes across. It's kind of, I was thinking about it, it reminded me of The Great Gatsby in that way, Mm -hmm. where you have all these, like, almost, like, mythological characters, like Penny Lane herself is this, like, enigma, and you have these mysterious rockers, and then you have... This guy who, like, he's interesting to us, but, like, I think within the film, he's one of, like, the less interesting people, quote-unquote. So he's, like, just going in on their world, and, like, we're taking everything in from his perspective, and it's clear. And, like, yeah. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I do. It does feel like a Gatsby feel mm-hmm. because he's the closest to us so like he's like our mirror into this crazy world i also think um the moment when he and the those groupies when he has a threesome or whatever oh the tea flower yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i feel like that's like the moment because you know he gets the phone call from the rolling stone editor mm-hmm. and oh, that's right when after. he's like we already have a hunter s thompson like right. whatever um and yeah, it is a bit late. Like he's just gotten in there, and then he's when he gets up to leave, he's yelling at them, and he's like, "What am I to you? Yeah. What yep. are you?" <laughs> and he he has his first kind of like, I don't know, really angsty moment. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's cute. What do you guys think of that scene? The That's deflowering thing. I thought that was one of the things that has 
that, aged kind of weirdly. Yeah, because yeah. really? yeah. it's like the Sapphire also says like any other like city or like country or like something like yeah, any other city or something like that. Um, you might still be a virgin, uh-huh. and it's like oh, you're just kind of like using his body like right now. So like that's like one of the whack. Mm-hmm. scenes I would say very whack um it's also like just like it's the 70s so it's probably what happened a lot yeah. especially a- at that time absolutely, but like yeah. when you think about it it's just really weird to have like your first time just be with a bunch of like these like band-aids yeah and just yeah it, it's like I think the movie is pretty clearly based on his own experience, and it might have been what happened. Yeah. Um, and who knows his perspective on it? But I thought, you know, a lot of the times the characters are acting badly, and the movie feels like it's kind of condemning them from William's reaction. But here, even though William doesn't seem very into it, it's still kind of presented as this like great, like almost like ethereal thing, like this heavenly thing, yeah. um, which is interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was super weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, just because, like, he's 15. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, these these random chicks uh, who are just kind of hanging out. And he's, like, in the scene before, he's talking to Penny, like, in the washroom, right? Yeah. And then they just kind of, like, swoop in yeah. and then swoop him out. And then suddenly his clothes are off. And then we see him, like, the morning after on the phone. So it's just, like, a weird scene to me um, just because he is so young. But like you guys said, it was very much, you know, 70s and 60s. And that's just the lifestyle that they're in. But I think, like... Is whack today. Looking yeah. back in 2019, it's kind of a whack premise to. Yeah. Although I do think that the like at least Anna Paquin, like she looks just as young as he does. Yeah, I like, think they're, they're yeah. like I know that we never learned their ages, but Kate Hudson was only 20 when she played Penny Lane. Like mm-hmm. that's younger than me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're pretty I young. Think Penny's supposed to be 17. Isn't yes, she? she's film. like 16, 17. Well, she agrees every time William yeah, says. Yeah, except yeah. for like. The Except last 15. time. Yeah. Yeah. In the extended version, yeah. there's they give her a birthday cake and it says Penny Lane age unknown. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um I think that scene but, where they're going back and forth with the age is like one of my favorites. Yeah. Just because it's such like a cute interaction. And when Penny's like, uh, isn't it funny just how the truth sounds different? I just thought that was really like fun and intelligent. Uh other things that haven't aged well? Should we talk about that? I mean, I think there's like one moment I, I was telling said this earlier but when I originally said uh that I didn't think the movie was whack I think I'd completely blocked out the scene where Penny overdoses on Quaaludes <laughs> and William takes it as a romantic um opportunity and kisses her and when I remembered that I was like oh shit how am I supposed to argue in favor of this but um yeah I think I feel like part of me trying not justifying the inclusion of the scene, but like understanding why it's there um, or why maybe it wasn't as whack at the time is that it he is basically learning how to be a young adult and how to do all these things from the worst possible role models. Like mm-hmm. the guys around him like do not respect women. They do not have talk about boundaries of consent I mean they're all sleeping with underage girls Mm -hmm. so I think it is realistic that being said I don't know if it necessarily has to be in the film Mm -hmm. I think again 
it's just me, but I think it's how it's presented is yeah. th- more of the issue because William does other like selfish things and there's times where he says like when he says I'm dark and mysterious like <laughs> we're obviously <laughs> supposed to laugh at him yeah. but in this instance it feels like it is supposed to be romantic and like yeah is it though like she's I'm not sure. I mean I just think she looks so like like th- there there is nothing romantic about her state also I feel like Penny Lane never portrays any romantic interest in William mm-hmm. that like yeah. it feels yeah. incredibly one-sided um which like I guess is better than if it was somehow seemed reciprocated but mm-hmm. I don't know and I agree with you like the way it's presented like I feel like it's supposed to be like this like lovey scene especially because like I'm thinking about like what songs playing but I can't like come up with it I right I think now. it's Moncheria more. Yeah. <laughs> well, that song starts playing when they're pumping her stomach. Yeah. And he has this weird <laughs> smile yeah. on his yeah, face. And, yeah. So, like, that's why I always, like, just that song as well. It's, like, it's just not a good mixture. All right. So it doesn't present itself off well. Um, so I think that's kind of where, like, the whole whackness mm-hmm. comes yeah. into play. Um, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I I agree with Hatta that I think it's supposed to be kind of like scummy, but it's also supposed to be like, look at this sweet guy and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, but then he's, oh my God, he has this line where he says, I'm about to go where many men have gone before. And you're like, like, I I don't know. I guess it is conflicting. And I think the damage of the scene depends on who is seeing it, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think a 15-year-old boy seeing that isn't going to necessarily... I mean, if they're really smart and, like, woke 15-year-old boy, they (laughs) might be like, oh, yeah, that's not consent. That's terrible. But someone might also see it and go, like, that's acceptable and that's okay and I relate to this guy and, like, like, this is a romantic or brave moment and, like... Yeah, I guess it's dangerous in the wrong hands. Mm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting hearing all of your perspectives on it because I remember watching it being like, oh, that's so weird. But then I kind of took it as like maybe this is uh, like a way of showing the audience, like trying to solidify uh, William's romantic feelings for Penny or like portrayed to the audience. Look, he likes her. Yeah. And I and that was kind of like how I walked away from it, which I think makes the scene kind of like unnecessary because I feel like we all got a sense of... From the very beginning. You know? So that's <laughs> yeah. why, like, the scene seems so, like, random and pointless. And the only way, like, I can justify it being there is if the director was, like, like, oh, we need to have, like, a scene where they have, like, some romantic interaction. And then immediately after, her stomach gets pumped in the hotel, right? <laughs> but, yeah, that was just my sense of it. I guess, for, for me, it felt like the purpose was to show, like, look the damage that has been done on this kid. Like, mm. he's this sweet, innocent kid. And, like... Yeah. Who cares, like, like him, if, like, he'd done drugs or he'd, like, like you know, consensually slept with a woman, like, that's not going to show that, like, his morals have been right. um, compromised right. because those aren't things that make you a bad person. But I'm not saying that the movie's saying he's a bad person in that scene, but they're showing, like, this is the impact that, like, this like quote-unquote cool lifestyle has had on him because he's not cool and yet he's doing i I thought the idea was that william's love is like 
for Penny is more pure than like Russell's because he's there when she's actually like dying and he saves her life and stuff, which he throws at Russell later. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also really interesting that Penny's, as you guys are saying, not into him at all. And at the end, (laughs) instead of you think maybe they're going to reunite or she's going to reunite with Russell and instead she sends Russell to William's house. She thinks they can have a good effect on on each other and she goes off on her own. Russell has a line where he's like, I think we both wanted to be with her and she like wanted Wanted us to be be together. together. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. which is a good point because she also looks at both of them as projects. Obviously, she catches (laughs) feelings for Russell, but like William, she treats him like a baby brother. Yeah. Like, I don't know, it's weird. Like, I definitely had a strong phase in high school where, like, I wanted to be any of these, like, quote, like, manic pixie dream girl characters. Although, like, I resent the term. Um, I do. I I didn't understand that Penny herself is this kind of, like, tragic character who's, like, creating this like mysterious identity for herself not because she's the coolest girl ever but because she like doesn't want to get hurt she's creating this like wall and also like it kind of seems like she loves the music so much that she's willing to be whoever these men need her to be so that she can cause them to create more of this art that she loves um I guess I, I but at the time I just thought she was like magical and cool and like I wanted to be like her it's interesting because um Elizabeth Town which was I think his next movie after this was it maybe Vanilla Skies in between it was one of his later movies (laughs) after this um it was in a review for that movie that the term manic pixie dream girl was created um so like Cameron Crowe um but also yeah, I don't know. I feel like I would hate to label Penny Lane as a manic pixie dream girl because I think when you really take a good look at it, she is a very sad character. And I do think that, like, he has added, like, more depth to her than just her being, like, you know, like, ethereal and whatever. And maybe it doesn't come across strong enough. I don't know. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know if I would call her a manic pixie dream girl. I personally wouldn't call her a manic pixie dream girl. Um, Just because I feel like when I do hear that term, I, like, don't hear, like, I think of, like, a girl that's, like, not as, like, powerful. But I feel like she really does have, like, this power where, like, she's able to, like, kind of, like, make walk like into any room and have like any man fall in love with her right or like walk into like any room and just like she has this presence to her like when she like first meets William she just like she glides in and Mm -hmm. she's like we're not groupies like we're band-aids right um and so she's like setting her ground and she's like we're not sleeping with them just because we like want to be famous we're sleeping with them because like we kind of like just love the music, yeah. Like, um, or like 
wait like she she was saying about like how she's like trying not to sleep with them but like she's like she obviously is right but when Russell. she is it feels like she knows what she's doing yeah like, even when she does catch feelings it feels like she's still in control of herself she's not just stumbling into the situation clumsily or whatever yeah and like um i was just like i read this little like blog about like the real penny lane um and it's like me, my sister and I like have just loved like the groupie culture of like the 1960s. Like we've just like Pamela Day Barron is like one of our like her favorite groupies of the time. And like Liv Tyler's mom is like one of my favorite. Um, <laughs> it's a really weird like thing, but um, it's a very specific fandom. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it exists actually, but it's like it's weird. <laughs> um, but just like the like real life penny lane she like kind of gave herself like three years to go out and live in this world and then like just not do anything after that just like come back home and just like live the rest of her life and so like from apparently like the age of 17 to 20 she was like partying with like rock stars um, and then afterwards, she just, like, went home, and I feel like that's, like, the same thing that happened with Penny Lane in the movie. She, like, realized that her time was, like, coming to a close, so she, like, wanted to, like, restart her life in Morocco. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's, I don't know, I love Penny Lane as well. Yeah. Like, I did want to be her at one point, but... Um, her life is really tragic just because I, like everyone will always see her as like as like kind of this person to be in love with but not to like fully like hear mm -hmm. them her out yeah. and um going back to the kiss scene i feel like when we think about her in that way it kind of makes sense that like his one like, quote, romantic, like, experience with Penny, she's not even conscious for it because I don't know if he's actually in love with Penny. He's in love with this idea of her. And in the moment, it's like, like, she's not even there and it doesn't matter that she's not there because right. she's not a real person. Yeah. yeah. She's just a concept. It's like a facade yeah. sort of thing. For sure. Um, I don't, I wouldn't call Penny Lane a manic pixie dream girl just because I feel like Penny is super, or like pretty independent in the film. Um, and she like, she stands on her own for a lot of it. Um, and I definitely agree with this idea that there is sort of like this facade or, and I think this happens in the film or just discussed in the film a lot. It's like reality and then what actually happens. Um, and I think that Penny is like a perfect representation of that because she does have this whole like fantasy life built up for her. Um, and she sort of like lives in that in replacement of like her real life, which we think is kind of like uh, tragic or like, you know, obviously not as glamorous as her life as a Band-Aid. Um, but I think she is really interesting. Yeah, that's it. I'm just going to end it there. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's cool as a... Maybe this is proving the point, but I think she's interesting kind of as a symbol of the themes of the movie, I think, which I thought uh, this time watching it at least was kind of like um, the people get left behind by fame or kind of get pushed aside when people reach a higher level of fame and she gets 
like used and then is kind of pushed aside as the band becomes more successful. And I think William's mom also sees herself that way. Like as William's career starts to take off, she kind of like gets pushed aside and they cross cut the scene where Penny's dying with his mom at the graduation and he's not there. And it's like there, she feels like he's like gone and, and, uh, He's leaving her behind to his future, which wow. I think is cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. What about, like, you know, um, talking about, like, how we relate to Penny Lane, what about the rest of the film? Like, are there any specific characters or themes that everyone, like, has found themselves drawn to? I felt like William a lot. Like, yeah. <laughs> I felt like like when I was watching the movie, like looking up and taking notes, watching him look up and take notes and stuff, I was like, oh, man, just you're, the same person. You're a total William. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I identify with the thing of like being kind of an observer and uh, the idea, like, I feel like I've been near a lot of cool people. But as like Lester says <laughs> at the end of the movie, it's like we're not the cool people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Seb, don't don't get offended. But when I was watching that scene, I was thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> but in a, in the best way. That yeah. Funny. Other than the creepy stuff, Williams. Okay. No, but yeah, I also I relate to that too. Like I I love watching these people with these like crazy lives. Personally, I'm not interested in having a crazy <laughs> life but i like to i like to observe yeah I don't know. just like the soundtrack is just oh my god like i like i mentioned like i was in a really big like rock stage when i first watched the film so to me like my like to me the line that always stood out to me was mainly because of my sister because like when we first watched it she like just said it out loud but it was the one with Penny talking about um I always tell the girls never take it seriously if you never take it seriously you never get hurt and if you ever feel lonely go to the record store and visit your friends that line was like the one that stood with me for a long time but then it kind of changed to when Sapphire's talking to Russell and she's talking about how like a tiny piece of music can hurt you so much and anytime like Led Zeppelin starts to play in that in that that movie like I'm just like oh my god it's like so good (laughs) like I love it so much and like Elton John will also play and like I'm just like ah and Joni Mitchell as well and it's just like I love the soundtrack so much um, that that's a big thing like I relate to. Um, but as for like character wise, I don't feel like there's any characters like like I wish I could be like William and be like this like <laughs> just a prodigy writer and just like so innocent and be able to like go rock like go like live a crazy lifestyle but not be like like influenced too badly by it right um but like no like rock bands aren't like that anymore so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah yeah I think the thing that I related to most was definitely William and his whole sort of like journey throughout the film and it, then it also connects to why I think this film is kind of whack just because for me like 
I think it is super relatable too for a lot of people or like young people today is this idea that like, oh, at age 15 or like in your teens, you get like your big break, right? Um, and there's like a lot of pressure on like, you know, that grind uh, to work, work, work and get the super cool opportunity and then do it. And you're young and you're like living your life. Um, so I think that I super, I connected to that. And I think a lot of young people would connect to that. And because this is sort of like a coming of age film, um, they don't touch on that as much as I would like it to, um, because then in the middle we do get very band focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I definitely connected to William and sort of his journey to be a journalist. Um, and I feel like a lot of people would connect to that, but then they don't focus on it as much, which is why I think the film is sort of whack for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you think like it's a bit whack because it gives us such high expectations of like at 15 we're going to get $8,000 <laughs> for journalism? Uh, I I don't know actually. That's a that's an interesting thought. <laughs> Just because like the expectation for young people to work so hard in their teens yeah. and get these payoffs. Just cuz I guess it connects to social media and all the time we're presented with these stories like whoa, child from middle of nowhere, like, <laughs> wrote this awesome story and now it's getting into the movie. And, like, that pressure can be applied on people who are maybe, like, impressionable. Mm-hmm. But for this film, I think it sort of sets it up to be, like, um, not necessarily, like, satire, but, like, it's not... We don't take it as seriously as it should. At least I don't. Like, I don't take it as, like, a truth or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it very much as, like, a fiction story, even though it is sort of autobiographical. Anyhow, I don't necessarily think that kids would or young people would think, this is me, I have to do that. Because it's such a crazy scenario that William finds himself in. Also, yeah. like, most of us aren't prodigies. I don't know about yeah. you guys. <laughs> no. But I no. think it, it is whack that we get told that story so much. We yeah. get it, like, everywhere in movies and, and social media and, and news stories and stuff, where I do feel like, like oh, man, I'm behind. Should be. I like, should be. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a pressure. Yeah. At least for, like, myself and my circle of people, it is definitely, like, you have to do something great now because the clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, can keep some people up at night, which is so weird because it's like you have so much of your life ahead of you to do really cool things. So don't focus on now necessarily. If it doesn't happen now. No, it's all happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, all it is all happening. happening. <laughs> I thought that was a great, like, repeated thing because yeah. that gets yeah. said at the beginning when things are starting to take off. And then the manager says it on the plane when they're going to crash. And it <laughs> yeah, feels yeah, like, yeah. oh, this is whatever the plane is. It's a metaphor for their fame is going to crash or whatever. But it's like, this is what it's actually like. Like people fighting yeah. and hating yeah. each other and like cheating on their partners with their friends. <laughs> and it's like, I thought that was cool. But, but to like come back to your thing, it's like, I actually don't think this is like William's coming of age story for myself. I don't really feel feel like he is coming of age I feel like he's just living a period of his life to me the character that really is coming of age is Russell Mm -hmm. and um I don't think it ends up happening to like the extent I wish it does um just because we're not going to continue following his story and seeing if he is going to treat women with more respect or, like, other things. But, like, he does end up calling Rolling Stone and being like, okay, you know, I lied. Like, this was true. Like, um, yeah. But you can also, like, say 
that Anetta, Anita, sorry, Anita, um, also kind of has like like this little coming of age. Like she leaves, she just wants to listen to like like Simon and Garfunkel <laughs> and yeah. just like be with her boyfriend. But then like you see her in the end of the movie and like she's the stewardess and like she looks like she really is starting to like put her life together. And then with the mom, like she's trying not to be so much of a helicopter mom as like she was with Anita right so I feel that it's more of a coming of age to like the other characters as opposed to William which is kind of weird because those people don't have like any screen time but also (laughs) like if you think about it it's not like William is being exposed to like adulthood and any capacity yeah. in the no. film. He's the most mature one in some ways. Yeah. These people are all experiencing like an extended adolescence. So if he were to somehow to like come of age through that, that would be weird. I mean, that'd be a weird perception of adulthood, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah, a really interesting point. I think it's really cool that William like ends the movie by going back to bed. Like yeah. he like comes <laughs> back to his childhood room and it's like, I don't really need to deal with this stuff yet. Yeah. Which I think is cool. Yeah. And I think but I think it does make the movie a bit more satisfying that there's these kind of mini character arcs that happen where William yeah. doesn't actually change a ton. And Penny. Like Penny has a <laughs> character arc. It feels more subtle because she's so like mysterious and doesn't always vocalize how she's feeling. But you know when he confronts her and he's like, There is no Morocco. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. she realized like she's kinda just says a lot, like talks the talk, doesn't walk the walk, and then she finally actually I don't know, makes a decision based off of, like, herself mm-hmm. rather than, like, some guy. One small aspect I think might be a bit whack is that I think Russell, for the good of himself and Stillwater, should probably leave. And at the end, they just mm-hmm. go back, and it's, like, exactly the same thing where he's, like, a slightly bigger star, like he's ahead on the T-shirt and stuff. And I would have liked it if it was a little more ambiguous, maybe, as Mm -hmm. to what's going to happen. But it's like everything is so happy. Like, they go back to the bus. Everything's fine with the band. And it doesn't feel repairable ever. There's one shot where, like, he, Jason Lee and him are both on stage. And one of them gives the other, like, Like a a kiss on the cheek. And I'm like, you literally just confessed your hatred for this (laughs) man. Also, like, I mean, every, it sounds like every famous rock band ever, like, had that like eternal conflict of like I don't know and when he when he says I never loved you I believe him like yeah. I believe him way more than when they're like yeah. pals well it's not like he ever expresses any like appreciation for Russell yeah. like he makes it pretty clear personally I prefer like Russell over um what's his name <laughs> oh Jeffrey Jeff Jeff, Jeff yeah Jeff, uh, just because, like, oh, when he's, like, talking to William at the beginning of the movie, he sounds like a total douche. <laughs> he's, uh, like, yeah. he's like, oh, I just hate, like, the beginning of him. Like, yeah. What I do love is that they all have these, like, really curated personas. And, like, mm-hmm. you can tell every time Jason Lee says something he thinks is really smart, he's like, put that in. Like, yeah. put yeah, that in. Exactly. And he has these, like, weird prepared statements, like, Rock and roll will save the world. And he's just pulling it out of his ass. And then Russell, on the other hand, like, knows that, like, nothing that he's saying is actually brilliant. Like, he never wants anything on the record because he probably just doesn't actually have Mm -hmm. anything that interesting to say. Not in, like, a bad way, but just... But when he's with the high scores at the party, 
he seems to start to be buying into his own hype, I thought. Yeah, like, yeah. he's, like, talking to them about philosophy, and they're like, the guy's like, do you want to see my turtle or whatever? What does he say? <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, but, like, that scene where I think he's, like, at a low point with the band. Yeah. He's like, oh, I can feel better by being with my fans. And then when he leaves and there's the shot of, like, all the people watching, it's like they have seen a god. Yeah. That's when yeah. he says, I'm, I'm a golden god. I'm a golden whatever. god, yeah. said by Robert Plant. my final verdict is i am sticking to my guns i think while there are some wackish points the movie in some ways is able to justify them being there to the extent that I don't think the movie as a whole is whack. <laughs> it is not whack. Olivia? Or... I thought we were going to build suspense because I was the oh. one outlier. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I think, yeah, I <laughs> okay, Sebastian? Um, I feel like we've been spending most of the time talking about how much we like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say it's not whack. Uh, not whack for me. Yeah, I think our discussion was really cool, and I definitely have a deeper, or like a bigger appreciation for a lot of the fun moments of the film. If it was just a little bit shorter, <laughs> I would feel so good about saying it is not whack. Um, so I'll just feel, yeah, okay, it's not whack. <laughs> no, I've been like trying since like the like first year I got on the next wave to com- committee to like get this one to be one of like our marathon runners okay. and I told Bridget I was like by like my third year like I'm gonna do it and I don't know after after like this I feel like I'm even more headstrong like I have to get us to like program this for the marathon I have my reservations still but I can respect it in some of its <laughs> funner scenes let us know your uh, thoughts, <laughs> hypothetical listeners. <laughs> if you think it's whack, you can tie a note to a messenger pigeon. And, <laughs> well, I don't know. That's good. Let us know your thoughts. Yeah. Tie it to yeah. the pigeon. Send it to three, <laughs> 350 King Street West, and we will find it. We will receive it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of Is It Whack? Next week, we're going to be back with another episode with Tiff Next Wave. We're going to be talking about Baby Driver. It's going to be a pretty great conversation. You should probably come by and listen to that. Thank you to Ian Mills for our music. Thank you to Emma Kudlack for our art. Go to insomniacfestival.com or at insomniacfest on Instagram to learn more about us. Go to tiff.net slash nextwave learn more about tiff next wave we'll see you next time here at is it whack all right bye bye <laughs>